I just wanted to make sure everybody listening knows that if you're an independent home improvement retailer in the United States or Canada, you're already a member of the North American Retail Hardware Association. And so that means if you're a hardware store, home center, or lumber yard, and you're independently owned, you're already a member of NRHA. And the NRHA has been in existence since 1900 and serves its members in a variety of ways, from Hardware Retailing Magazine and our two podcast series to exclusive research and events, the association is here to help you become better and more profitable business owners. So we encourage you to make sure you take advantage of the services that are available to you that can help you better compete. To learn more about what NRHA does for you, make sure you visit us at www.nrha.org. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Taken Care of Business podcast. We have an old friend of the show visiting us again today. We are here with Gary Pittsford from Castle Wealth Advisors. And you might be asking, didn't we just talk to Gary not so long ago? Well, it, it, it's been several months now, but but the reason Gary is back is a pretty important one. Um, this year, 2020, NRHA and hardware retailing and, and by extension, this very podcast, we are really focusing on this concept of succession. And the reason we're focusing on succession so much this year is because it is such an important topic. In fact, if, if, if you read my column in the uh, February issue of Hardware Retailing Magazine, I, I talk a little bit about how important succession is to the independent in the Home Improvement Channel. And, and I talk about the fact that you know, we, we, we spend so much time worrying about what Amazon is going to do to the independent retailer or what the big boxes are going to do to the independent retailer and the doom and gloom surrounding that. But but the truth of the matter is independent retailers are, are, are figuring out how to compete with just about everyone. But but the scary part is the thing that lies under the surface that, that could very well being, bring the downfall of the independent retailer is lack of succession planning. And Gary, welcome to the show, first of all, and welcome back to the show. And, Thanks, and, Dan. And you deal with this issue on a daily basis. Where would you say overall we are with succession planning in the industry? Because our research shows us that, that roughly only around half of the retailers in this industry even have a succession plan. Uh, well, the momentum is picking up. In the last four or five years, there's more and more owners that are getting more serious about trying to figure out what to do. <clears throat> I would say less than half really have a succession plan. Uh, when I talk to some owners, they tell me, well, yeah, I updated my will last month, so that's all I need. <laughs> yeah. And that's not really true. Uh, so developing a plan to sell in the next two to three years to either children in the business or key managers or somebody else in your industry, it, it takes two to three years to get your company ready to get that done. And, and it takes time and you gotta have the right kind of people, but the, the momentum is starting to pick up because they've had four or five good years since back in 2008, 2009. You know, things are better. They're all eight or 10 years older 
and they really want to do something, and, and they're really starting to get serious. My classrooms at the different conventions are getting fuller and fuller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's such an important topic that I, you and I were just discussing this before we started, but this year, Hardware Retailing is dedicating an entire year-long series of articles <clears throat> to the topic of succession, and we're not only going to talk about best practices for succession, but we're, but we're also going to be featuring some success stories of, of retailers that have, have gone through and come out the other side of succession in, in, in a positive way. One of the things that we find is we start looking at these stories about, um, about the successful successions is that they started when there was plenty of time. They started talking about these things, as you're saying, you know, three years out, five years out, and, and in mm -hmm. some cases, well before that. Is there a time frame? It, 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 would the statement be correct to say that it's never too early to start thinking about succession? Oh, of course not. Uh, you can start 10 or 15 years out, you know, and start thinking about grooming your children to take over the business. Or looking away outside of children, I guess. Or either, if the yeah. children aren't going to be in the business, maybe it's one or two key employees. Or if your employees aren't interested, then somebody else within 50 or 100 miles of your location. You know, so the sooner you think about it, the better. The more that you stay on top of your financial statements in that last 10 years, the better. Okay, But the last three to five years is real important because if you talk to an outside buyer, somebody in your industry, they're going to want to look at the last two or three years' financials. If you're going to sell it to your employees, they're probably going to need a bank loan for part of it, 75 80% of the purchase price. So the bank's going to want to see the tax returns and financial statements. They don't want to see 10 years ago. Right. They don't want to see five years ago, but they want to see the last two or three years. So the last two or three years are critical, but you've got to start preparing for that five, six, seven years out. Yes. So, so I'm a retailer sitting in my store in, in, in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, or wherever it might be, uh, thinking, you know, I probably need to do this. Hopefully, Gary, they listen to our podcast or they read an article in the magazine <laughs> and say, you know what, it's time. What do they do? What, where do they go? What is the first step they should do when they start thinking about a succession plan? Uh, they need to start looking at all their financial statements, but it's probably more important that they find a team of advisors to help them through this process. Yeah. Okay. They need. So it's not a go it alone kind of. Absolutely it's, not. Okay. No. Yeah. You're going to need a really good corporate attorney that can prepare corporate documents. Okay. Yeah. A corporate business attorney that specializes in that. Not a real estate lawyer, not a litigation lawyer, but a corporate attorney. Okay. And in Des Moines, Iowa, or in Kalamazoo, Michigan, there's probably three or four, okay? Yeah. You know, in bigger cities, there's a lot more. You need an attorney. You need an accounting firm that can analyze your taxes if you sell the business and show you ways in the last two or three years what you can do to minimize taxes. You know, it's no fun to sell a company for a million dollars and pay 400000 in taxes. Yeah. Okay. So how can I minimize taxes? The accountant is very important. The accountant has to look at you, the seller, and also who the buyer is, if it's children or key employees, and figure out what the taxes are going to be. And then the third group, the third person, would be a financial-type person, someone who can help you manage the money that you're going to get from selling the business, help you project what your retirement income is going to look like. Because a lot of these store owners, 
that we deal with 100 or 150 every year, a lot of them have reinvested money back into the business every year, which every business owner does. And at the end of 30 or 40 years, the business is very valuable. They may own the real estate. About 40 or 50% will own the land and building, uh, but that's the bulk of their net worth. You know, so they've got to get the biggest price out of that company if they're going to be able to retire and have a comfortable income. You know, so well, they, and that's all the more reason <clears throat> argument to start planning earlier because a lot of that stuff, I'd imagine, if you're only three to five years out, might be kind of hard to make those shifts True. to get you you in a position mm-hmm. where you're comfortable with your retirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it if you're going to own real estate, well, buy it you know, buy it uh, 10, 15, 20 years before you retire. The real estate may help you with retirement income because you'll have that rental income or it's another asset that you could also sell, okay? So, and what kind of company do you have? If you have a C-Corp and you're planning on selling in five years or so, you need to talk to your accountant that you picked to be on your dream team and the accountant's probably going to tell you, well, you probably ought to switch, switch that to an S-Corp, and you've got to keep it for five years, and then you can sell it as an S-Corp. As a C-Corp, you're going to pay two taxes. As an S-Corp, you pay one tax. Okay, so there's a reason to start five years early. For all the people that are C-Corps, they need to have a really hard discussion with their accountants about, if I sell in five years, what kind of company should I have? Okay. What should I look like? Okay. You know, um, I've run into some people that they have a very successful business. It's got a lot of cash, and they want to go buy a building. So they let the corporation buy the building. So now I've got the business and the real estate in the building in the same corporation. That's not a good idea. Don't do that. Okay, put that real estate over into a separate LLC. Do that 5 or 10 or 15 years before you retire. Okay, so there's all kinds of things that you can do. And, and if you start doing the wrong stuff in the last five years, you're just going to pay more taxes and have a lower retirement income. You know, it, it, you bring up a lot of good points. And, and I think some of the points you bring up too, Gary, are some of the reasons why I would imagine that some people are hesitant to start. Because even even some of the things you talked about can, can be pretty intimidating. I mean, if, if I'm a guy who's built my living around selling hardware and helping people with their home improvement projects, all the talk about tax law and, and investing, and it, it can certainly be a little bit intimidating. So what advice from you, one, who would be the first person you call? Now, obviously, you'd say, I mean, I'd call Castle Wealth Advisors and we could give you everything. <laughs> well, you said that, not yeah. me, but, but I'm not <laughs> but, going to argue with you. But, but, yeah. do, you, but do, you call, do you call an accountant? Do you call an attorney? And also, what are two or three questions that, that if I'm not really familiar with this, what are two or three questions that you would recommend that that first person I call, these are the questions I should ask them to start this process? You need to talk to all three, an attorney, an accountant, and a financial okay. person, but they need to be people who do lots of business transactions, right. okay? People who understand retail business, people who understand self-employed businesses, okay? That's why a business attorney is important. The financial person is important, too, because most, uh, like if it's our firm or some other firm like ours, we're going to be working with the attorney and the accountant to get the right answers put together. 
They need to work with people that are fee only, that are not selling something. They need okay. to work with people that are fiduciaries. Okay. Okay. A fiduciary is a person that works only for you. Okay. That's very important. Okay. So, uh, I, I guess, I guess it boils down to somebody on that team needs to know a lot about business transactions. Yeah. You know, uh, the, you know, would you say even that, that within uh, the scope of, and and this is probably what Mm -hmm. makes you so sought after is, is within the scope of, you know, finding these kind of advisors that understand retail, understanding home improvement retail is even a little bit of a different animal than Mm -hmm. if you're running a grocery store or, or a, a, a fast food joint or something like that. Would you say that's true? That's uh, very yeah, true. Yeah, okay. yeah. It would be very, very helpful if you work with somebody on your three member team that knows all about the hardware industry. Right. You know, that's why we, we enjoy working with hardware because we know all the wholesalers. We yeah. know what's going on. You know, we enjoy working with everybody. We enjoy helping the families and the families know that we understand if there's, if there's a patronage stock involved, yeah. you know, uh, how that's going to be bought out, you know, uh, what type of buyers, you know, because every wholesaler has different kinds of preferred buyers, uh-huh. you know, so we know who's involved, you know, we can get involved with those companies, you know, and help the member work through this transition. Uh, somebody on the team should know retail hardware. Like, and, and that's hard to do because there's not a lot of people that right. specialize in this, but that's always helpful. You know, so you, you got to know closely held businesses. It would be nice if they also knew the hardware industry, retail hardware industry. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of those calls. You get a lot of people at your, your, your company yeah. that are saying, hey, I, I'm starting down this road. What, 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 what would you say when you first sit down to talk to individuals that are beginning their, their, their uh, path down to uh, succession? What are some of the biggest things that you tell them that surprise them? What are some of the biggest surprises that you think? Well, unfortunately, um, they are surprised when they find out that their store is not worth $5 million. Yeah. Uh, or $3 million, you know. Um, some people are, you know. But the valuation metrics that we have to go through fit the retail hardware industry. Yeah. You know, so sometimes... You know the store's worth nine hundred thousand, and they thought it was worth two million. So w- we have to work through that. You right. know that, and and sometimes that's bad news, but it's realistic for this industry. Is, is it a hard time for you to sometimes uh, convince? Might not be the right word, but do you ever get pushback and say, "Oh no, you, you're wrong. You're telling me my mm-hmm. store's worth nine hundred thousand. I know it's worth two million. And, and how do you address that? Well, I can show them what the national results are, what okay. the, all the industry results are, yeah. you know. When, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes somebody says, well, I, my sales are two and a half million, and I think it's probably worth two million. Well, I know if the sales are two and right. a half million, it's not going to be worth two million. It's yeah, be unless something there's less. land or something involved in it, yeah. Well, now, I'm just <laughs> yeah. talking about the store. Right, the store of the business, Okay, yeah. so, uh, so if they own the land in the building, that's going to be yeah. a big number, and the store is a big number. You know, and then the other thing that surprises them is, you know, uh, uh, what the taxes are going to be when they sell it. You know, they didn't realize that they were going to pay so much tax. Yeah. Uh, and that hurts a lot. And we spend a lot of time, our accountants in our office and the accountant for the client, you know, in all 50 states that we work in, 
you know, we spend time in the last two or three years trying to minimize the tax. If we do this or do this or change something, how can we minimize the tax? You know, if we sell it for a million dollars, I don't want to pay 400000 in tax. How can I get it down to three hundred or two fifty? Yeah. You know, so saving taxes is so important. And again, that goes back to you could probably give them a lot of good advice, but you need the altitude of time. Yes. To, to be able to do, you can't say, I want to retire yeah. in, at the end of 2020. Tell me how I become, <laughs> change my corporation status. Tell mm-hmm. me how I save money on taxes. Yeah. Y- you just don't have that kind of time if they don't give it to you. If they want to retire, you know, in the fourth quarter of 2020, we can help them retire. We can help them sell the company. If they right. got a buyer, I don't find buyers, but once you've got a buyer, we'll help you negotiate. Well, that's an important, that's a really important point. So, so for, for, for our listeners out there that are thinking about contacting a, a company like Castle mm-hmm. Wealth Advisors or something, typically you guys aren't, you're not business brokers. We're you not. don't go out there and no. find a buyer. You just help the, and not to minimize mm-hmm. it at all, but you, you help the owners mm-hmm. set up understanding what their business is worth and how to yeah. translate that into successful succession and financial. Most of the time we'll work with the sellers and I always tell them the same thing is, is that if you've got a buyer, you know, if it's the kids or the employees or somebody else in your co-op, if you've got a buyer, I'll help you make the deal work. You now, know, do what? you work with both sides sometimes? I mean, do you say <laughs> bring the kids in and we'll, we'll talk through this or is that oh, yeah. not? Is that, okay. If it's the children, we'll work on both sides. But not if it's an outside buyer that... Well, not very often, but I just finished one in, in, uh, in uh, Utah where I knew the buyer and the seller. The, both of them had been clients for the last 10 years. Yeah, okay. So I knew both of them and we put together a friendly deal. But uh, if it gets bloody, then we have to back away. Right. Yeah, I'd imagine. But but normally we don't do that. Normally we work with the sellers because the sellers are the ones that really need help. The buyers, if they've bought two or three other stores, they have their attorneys. They have their standard documents. They know what they're going through. The seller's never been through it. Right. You know, and, and, you know, sometimes I'll use the analogy of uh, heart surgery. You know, if I'm going to get operated on here in Indianapolis, Indiana, I want the best heart surgeon in the state. Yeah. Okay. I don't want an average doctor. I want <laughs> yeah. the best heart yeah. surgeon. Okay. I'm going to work with him for a day or two or three hours and then I'm done. Okay. So that's when you, when you're getting ready to sell your business, it's like, it's like yeah, it's a one time event. It's yeah. a one time event and don't screw it up. It's yeah. got to be done right. So you want real good experts helping you. How, how, how important is it for the seller, the business owner, before they make those calls, before they reach out to build their dream mm-hmm. team or call you guys, how important is it that they kind of get their ducks in a row? Or is that something that you help with? Or or should they start doing things like gathering tax documents and gathering other information about the business? What What can they do to be better prepared when they reach out to someone like you? The things that they should have is uh, the last three or four years tax returns, the last three or four years uh, profit and loss statements and their balance sheets, okay? okay. Also, uh, buy-sell agreements. You know, if they did a buy-sell agreement with their partner 20 years ago, we need to see a copy of that. Whoever they're working with is gonna need to see a copy of that because that buy-sell agreement may influence the value of the valuation of the company, okay? They need to be thinking about the benefits that they've gotten, you know, we call them addbacks. It's a typical valuation technique that everybody does. But if I retire from my business, 
and the business has been paying for my health insurance, my car, my gasoline, my cell phone, my trips to Phoenix or whatever for a convention, uh, I need that list of information, okay? Because all those addbacks, if it's 10,000 or 20,000 or $30,000, whatever it might be, increases the value of the business. So I need those addbacks. They but should be thinking about it, okay? It it, does it surprise uh, folks, or do you see this where, you, you know, a lot of times if you're a small business owner, your your life really is intertwined with the business. Yeah. So, I mean, we talk to a lot of folks who, you know, well, the truck I drive is, a, I buy it through the business. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, yes. you know, to put it politely, I guess, some of your lifestyle is <clears throat> kind of financed through your role in the business. It's your business, mm -hmm. do, do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. Do you have that kind of talk with people and say, understand that in retirement and once you sell this business, mm -hmm. you need to consider things like mm -hmm. you and your husband or you and your wife may not have had a car payment for 30 years because you've driven yeah. a company truck. Now you're gonna have that. You guys would expense this or you know, you mm -hmm. would go go to conferences or your uh, you know uh, co-op markets and turn it into a vacation and it was a, that that all changes at that point it does yeah, yeah. it does and and <clears throat> when they get ready to sell the business <clears throat> excuse me uh, they'll say I said now I need you to make a list of what you're going to keep okay well I'm going to keep my pickup truck okay yeah. I'll sell you my business but I'm going to keep my pickup truck I'm going to keep all my patronage stock you know and I've right. got 200,000 in the checking account and I'm going to keep that Okay, but then everything else you can buy. Okay, see, and, <laughs> and they need to understand. And a lot of people, uh, by the time they really want to step away, they're at that age 65. Yeah. Sometimes we'll deal with people. I've done this two or three times this last year where they were like 62. And they needed three more years to get to Medicare. Yeah. Okay, so part of the structure was we structured the deal so that they stayed on as a consultant for about 5000 a year plus the company paid for their for health their insurance, insurance until oh, they turned okay. 65 okay. as part of the transition deal. Oh, well, you know, yeah. So those things can be built into the plan, uh, assuming we have a willing buyer, and most of them agree to stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just those kind of points are things that I don't think people would think of, even even the opportunity to talk to an expert like you guys that, that, that would present them with options. If, if you want to retire... And, but your challenge is how do I how do I bridge my health care? Mm -hmm. Well, you just presented yeah. you know here's an option that we've dealt with, which mm -hmm. is again more uh, reason why someone should should reach out to a, a professional. Is there a time you know? And I want to transition into kind of a little bit of a different aspect of succession. Is there a time when it's too late to begin? the thought of an orderly succession or do you, when, when people come to you and say, I want to retire at the end of 2020 and I have done nothing to prepare for this. Do you say, well, you just said earlier, we, we can help you make that happen. Mm -hmm. Or, or is the advice sometimes, well, you might have to wait a couple more years. No, if they've got a buyer. Okay. And if they want out real bad, we can in 2020 okay. come up with the best options but if we had a couple more years, we could probably do better. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, we can definitely get it done. And some people, we have these situations where the guy's had his third heart attack. Right. And he's got to get out. Yeah. Okay. So let's get it done. Let's figure out the best thing we can do in the next 12 months and get it over with. Try and get it out. Or they've been diagnosed with cancer right. or 
whatever the situation is. And we, we see those, you know, several times a year. You know, so we can get them out if they have a buyer. Right. We can find a way to make it work, but it's not going to be the best deal. Well, you touch on another topic, and let me ask you if this is something, another area that you guys help retailers with. You know, 95% of independent home improvement stores are family-owned. You, you, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, there's yes. obviously there's some more kind of corporate entities out there that own some mm-hmm. or, 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 or so on. But um, And the truth of the matter is, you know, you never, and, and you've seen this and I've seen this you've around the industry long enough, you like to think that everybody's going to be happy and healthy until they're 65, 67 and can walk mm-hmm. away and pass their business along to the next generation of owners. But the truth is you could be 35 and have a health issue or have yes. an accident mm-hmm. or something that requires you to mm-hmm. exit the business, which is, you know, why one of the questions or one of the things we promote is that it's never too early to start thinking about maybe at that point you don't even call it a succession plan, but but to be but to, to ask yourself that difficult question of if something should happen to me mm-hmm. or my wife or, or so on, what what do we do? Do you help people through that situation? Mm, we do. Yeah, okay. We do. We and and let's say the let's say the seventy uh, five year old, we transition the company over two or three years to their son or daughter. Right. Okay. Well, the son or daughter might be forty five. And they've got children that are 10 or 12 years old, okay? We make sure in this whole process that the 75-year-old that we're talking to, that his wills and trusts are up to date, that his retirement is up to date, the ownership of his assets is right, you know, because some assets should be in trust name, some assets should be in joint name, some assets may want to be in in the wife's name or the husband's name, okay? But then we move to the who just bought the company, the 45-year-old. Now, he could have a heart attack next week. You know, or he could have a car wreck. You know, so part of the process is is that we've got to have a buy sell agreement. You know, between the father and the son, maybe if the father's going to be a little bit involved, but the son's going to need wills and trusts, revocable living trusts, durable powers, durable power for financial and yeah. for, for healthcare. So if he has a heart attack, either the trustee or the person that has a durable power will continue to vote that stock, and and if he's not able to come back to work then one of those people in those documents that we had him to update will help sell the business, yeah. okay? So I don't care how old you are, 35, 45, 55, you need buy-sell agreements, you need trust documents, you need durable powers, you need all kinds of documents to protect yourself yeah. at every age. What, um, if you had one piece of advice to give to mm-hmm. everybody that's listening on, on, on the re- retail side, about this topic, what is the one thing you would encourage them to do, regardless of their age or, or where they are in their retirement thoughts? What, what, what's the one piece of advice you would pass along? Uh, spend a couple of hours every year. This may not be a perfect answer, but pick those three individuals that are going to help you make outside financial yeah. decisions. Okay, You do everything inside the business, but outside, pick those three people and spend a couple of hours with them every year, okay? There was some new tax laws that were passed, passed in 2017. Well, in 2018, they should have sat down with that team of theirs and say, how does this affect me? What do I have to do going forward? And there was a bunch of stuff that they should have done within their business after that 2017 okay. law was passed, okay? 
well, what's going on with interest rates? Should I, should I change the interest rate on the, on the building that I just bought? You know, what, you know they, they need to understand interest rates, you know, tax laws, what's happening in the retail world. Keep in touch with, <clears throat> keep in touch with you and your organization, NRHA, about what, what, what should be the gross margin. Right. You know, I go, to, I go to 25 or 26 conventions a year and I ask people in the audience, what's your gross margin? And 95% just sat there and look at me. Yeah. You know, I said, <clears throat> well, the national average is 40.1%. And they start, grab a pencil and start writing. Yeah. Okay. You should already know that. You should wake up in the morning and say, oh, my gross margin is 38, but I'm going to get to 39 by the end of the year. Yeah. You know, they need to know what their finances look like in the way they're running the business. But most of them don't focus on the financial part. Right. They focus on the customer. Right. The customer and, and, and the product mm-hmm. and the know-how and that customer mm-hmm. service and promotions and marketing. And, yeah. and, I, and I find the same thing, Gary. I'll speak. You know, mm-hmm. we talked. We just last year I did a bunch of presentations on, on basic retail finance and some pretty sophisticated operators, operators that I'd see in the mm-hmm. crowds that would be like, this is, this is kind of new to me. And we, we, we would really think it was basic and that's not a knock on them at all. These are good operators. Yeah. It's just yeah. they're Like you said, they're focused on how do I serve the customer? How mm-hmm. do I, how do I improve my store layout? How do I improve my merchandising and my promotions? Well, they, and, they fill up every day with uh, dealing with customers, absolutely dealing with employees and unloading that truck in the backyard. Yeah. Okay. And, and <clears throat> it's kind of like getting a physical going to the doctor once a year, you know, Sit down with your financial doctors a couple of hours once a year and just talk about what can I do differently to make my company better. If they would just do that, it would help a lot. Well, Gary, it, it's always nice talking to you. And, and again, this is a topic that's so important to, to us and so important to the industry. Let me let me ask you this to kind of mm-hmm. close with. I mean, you and I see each other a lot throughout the year because we're at a lot <laughs> of the same markets and yeah. conferences. Where, where are you going to be in the next couple months? Well, we're going to hit almost all of the, uh, in January, February, and March, we hit most of the wholesalers uh, okay. conventions. We Most, not most, I'd say a lot. Of especially in the retail hardware industry, yeah, we'll be at most of them. Okay, uh, talking about succession planning, exit planning, you know, what's the six-step process? You know, what can you do to get started? You know, all of the wholesalers are trying to get their members to think about it, do something about it, work at it, because if they help the members, then it'll also help the the co-ops and the wholesalers. Well, and, and, you know, I think the fact that, that you're at a lot of those markets, you know, if you're a retailer and you're Mm -hmm. listening to this, Gary is at those markets for a reason. NRHA and the wholesale community are, are talking to guys like Gary Mm -hmm. because it is a very important topic. And if all of these organizations that are so closely allied with with supporting independent retailers say, hey, this is an important topic, hopefully that's enough of a wake-up call for you retailers to say, huh, maybe I need to start looking at it. If everybody's telling me this is so important, maybe I need to start looking into it. And and the first thing I would encourage you to do is if you're at one of these markets and you see Castle Wealth Advisors or Gary on the, on the docket for seminars or, or meetings, 
pencil in the time and just go sit down. And I know Gary is very generous with his time at these events. Not only does he speak, but he hangs out afterwards Mm -hmm. and talks to people. And so if that's where you have to start thinking about succession, spend an hour at your wholesaler's market to go listen to Gary talk and then chat with him a little bit afterwards. I, I think it'll be an hour well spent. And and the next hour, we hope you dedicate to reading some of the articles that we have in Hardware Retailing about succession. Gary, outside of markets and stuff, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way to get a hold of you guys? Well, uh, there's uh, John Wheeler goes to a lot of conventions okay. with me and Mike Kelsher. So uh, people could just email uh, Gary or John or Michael at Castle3, Gary at Castle3.com. Okay. Or they can call us or they can find our website. And on the website are dozens and dozens of articles. And you know, they can buy my book about family businesses, uh, which is Castle3.com. Okay. Oh, yeah, just go to Google and type in Castle3.com and the company Castle Wealth Advisors will pop up. Great. You know, then they can print off stuff. They can read stuff. They can find out more about us. So, so a whole lot of information there. There's and, a lot. And, and between Castle Three and 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 NRHA, there's a lot of information for you guys to at least start get thinking about the process. Gary, thanks so much for spending time to talk about this very important topic. Look forward to seeing you out on the road. I look forward to seeing you too, and a lot of the members that are listening too. Yeah. Right. Thank Great. you. Thank you. 